The present is a veil between anticipation and horror. Lift the veil and madness may follow. There is unique agony in uncertainty. Universal law is for lackeys, but context is for kings. Hello and welcome to the Dura Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons. We are sisters. And today we are talking about the sixth episode of our spooky series, which is for Star Trek Discovery. And she's Ashlyn, and I'm Rihanna. Oh my god, I forgot! <laughs> Hello, everyone. In case you forgot who we are, or this is your first ever episode. <laughs> I'm sorry for a rough start. I didn't even introduce us. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, we gotta go right to the point today. Yeah, you were like, okay, we are sisters. <laughs> so you all know. Um, so, Ashlyn, thank you so much uh, for that beautiful introduction. I'm so excited to be talking about Discovery this week because, like, we just get a whole new round of different types of spooks. New Trek spooks, everyone. Man, yeah. Discovery was so much different, as it always is, uh, yeah. than the other shows. But yet, there was some real patterns that I was seeing, but done in this new and really exciting way. So I'm so excited to talk about those episodes. And just every time I rewatch Discovery, I am just in awe of what the show can do. So it, it's, it's a delight every time we come back to Disco. And also it keeps it fresh in my mind because I know at some point we're getting season five this next coming year, maybe 24, I don't Ooh. know. I hope it's sooner than that. But uh, better be, yeah. It keeps, it keeps me fresh and ready and excited for season five. Yeah, something in my brain told me that Discovery was going to come off the tail end of Picard, but there's no way. That's like too crazy, right? Because <gasps> <laughs> I don't think we've seen any trailers for Disco. Oh yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. We've seen a teaser trailer, so it might be coming after Picard, but don't don't quote us on that. I'm not <laughs> trying to get all your hopes up. This is why you come to our <laughs> podcast because you want to know you want to know facts, and we just don't know and we just give you <laughs> maybes let me, let me look it up oh yeah yes it so it's july 2023 rihanna so we could get it oh. on your birthday don't Wouldn't that say be that. a delight i would scream with joy um july yeah. 11th everyone just so you're ready although it, it's probably not a thursday what day is july 11th boom, boom, boom. you want me to look, look that up to you yes. <laughs> Look that up, bitch. I want to know if my birthday's going to be on Discovery Day. No, it's on a Sunday. That's okay. Maybe anyway. House of the Dragon Season 2 will be airing. There we go. I'll be ready. No, I think that's actually 24. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Um, so, yeah. It has been a really interesting time on the social media these days because Twitter seems to be uh imploding but there have been a lot of goodbye messages to you all and a lot of references to the titanic which is hilarious because it's not that dire of a situation but um yeah. everyone's been leaving really sweet messages and i feel like the twitter trek family is really strong right now despite all the despite all the chaos going on so um i'm just here to say that like all the people that we met on twitter it's been a joy and probably twitter's gonna last for like 10 more years so it's gonna last. Elon's just trying to jump ship, so hopefully he will. It's just a nightmare. <laughs> just like, 
it's yeah it's literally madness it's crazy to think about everything honestly if you need updates and don't want to go on twitter just watch john grain's tiktoks about them because they're phenomenal and he really great gives a great summary of what what fire is happening this week so yeah also hank green i will promote too really? has great that. tiktoks about he we love the green brothers yeah. have a good sibling <laughs> podcast as you can tell i mean we are low-key modeled after the vlog brothers so yeah exactly. like they're our inspiration we're the vlog sisters 100 so. percent. yeah but, but we're not klingons yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this is a crazy so, time speaking of social media we asked you all this week what episode of Discovery you thought was the most terrifying because we forgot about Enterprise last week again. <laughs> we're deeply sorry. <laughs> okay, so we got some great answers on the Instagram. Stormy weather, hands down, would trigger Neelix with the void. That is from They Call Me Steampunk. Yeah, yes. the great suggestion. 100%. Yes. They Call Me Steampunk actually reminded us that Stormy weather needed to go on this watch list, so thank you. I cannot believe we almost forgot the literal <laughs> void episode yeah. to a follow-up of Voyager. Yeah. So, thank you. Seriously. Um, Russ Pelequin says, all of season one context for Kings was pretty horrifying. Yes. So I'm glad someone else agrees with me because that was the first one I had on this watch list. And then also, anytime Lorca is creepy. <laughs> yeah. I, I submitted that one. <laughs> all honesty. <laughs> I had to ask her, and I was like, should I say your name or not? <laughs> I'm like, eh, I'll just tell them. <laughs> Um, it's true though he's creepy yeah just Lorca as a as a being and then on Twitter we had a poll going and it looks like context for Kings won with 52% in second place was Project Daedalus and then tied for third place was Through the Valley of Shadows and Stormy Weather so yeah Yeah. clearly context is for Kings (laughs) yeah just as a statement (laughs) yeah Okay, so it's time once again. I don't really know when we started pulling out action figures. I think it was first officer series. <laughs> so if you're new to it the was, pod, yeah. like this feature has not always been there. It's very exciting to be able right. to grab some action figures these days. Especially as I add more to the pile. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> okay. Ashlyn, who did you choose to go on this adventure with us? Keiko O'Brien will be joining us. <laughs> No one had Keiko. I have I'm Keiko. so pissed that you got her she and is, I have Miles. She's missing an arm though, so. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why. <laughs> Sorry, Keiko. She Wait, was damaged. so you have O'Brien as well. Yep, they're, they're united. Both Miles. Wow, good for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, it wasn't who I thought it was. Okay, who do Y'all, you have, Rihanna? I thought I pulled Morn from this bag. I did not. I pulled Harry Mud. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but actually... This is kind of perfect for the Discovery podcast. Rihanna, wow, that was destiny. That's kind of weird, everyone. But Harry Mudd is here with us. Um, he is actually not in any of the episodes we were discussing. Thank the Lord. <laughs> I actually really do love uh, Rain Wilson, but I do not love Harry Mudd's character. So happy to he- that he's here and we don't have to talk about him. <laughs> that would have been too spooky to, <laughs> to <Yeah>. throw in. <laughs> I like how he's not a villain and he's not spooky. We haven't really discussed <laughs> Except in time travel. <laughs> you know, so we, I did consider, like, should we have put the ones where he, they're in a literal Klingon prison? But, nah. Not, weirdly, not the spookiest ones we'll see here at Discovery. Well, so. and honestly, we've had to do that with every show. We have to pick and choose what type of scary are we going for. The point is, like, spooky, not 
heartbreakingly sad and hard to watch you know like yeah. if the heartbreakingly sad stuff is happening while there's like a ghost floating around like that's fine you know but <laughs> that like makes the parameters yeah klingon torture is just not spooky <laughs> yeah it's just horrific yeah so. it does not spark joy so we said yeah. goodbye so i'm gonna read the watch list and uh we will get started with the pod so we're gonna start off talking about control you can't leave them out with Project Daedalus and Perpetual Infinity, just the intro scene with Leyland, Through the Valley of Shadows. And then we're going to be going to Out of This Universe with Despite Yourself, Stormy Weather, Giorgio in Scavengers, and ending with States of Imperfection. And that episode is going to slide us right into the category Monsters and Misunderstanding, where we will continue talking about States of Imperfection, and then The Sound of Thunder, Sukal, New Eden, Kobayashi Maru, and ending with context is for kings. Wow, what a list. I'm so excited. I love how we've been organizing the episodes because I feel like we're sort of writing an essay about Yeah. About no, these I agree. Episodes. This is like really activating my English major, my English degree. <laughs> it's like literally what I would do for poems and essays and stuff. So I'm really happy to be finding common threads between all these episodes. Yeah. Like you said, Ashlyn, I Absolutely. think this one more so than other what other series we've talked about recently i've found it feels kind of like we're talking about the family series again where i'm like making connections between data and wharf that i never made before because of their family and now i'm like making these connections between these characters based on the way they deal with fear and based on the way that they react to certain really spooky situations so like who knew that the spooky series was gonna incite such amazing really like philosophical and in-depth discussions yeah not me <laughs> No. Yeah, I did not expect that. I wanted something fun and I wanted to talk about episodes we hadn't seen in a while. And this was yeah. such a like opposite to a lot of the other series that we've been doing. So I'm just delighted that, as usual, we're able to dig deep and find something really sparkling underneath. <laughs> Bejeweled. Yes, totally. I cannot believe, frankly, that we're starting with this episode. Um, <laughs> and I apologize in advance should for we, everyone who's we, like not ready to cry. We already read the watch list, so we can't change it. It's I know, and it works timeline-wise. We should talk about it in wow. order. Wow, Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. This is Project Daedalus. Um, this is the area of episode, if you don't remember its title. Now you remember. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ashlyn... Let's talk a bit about control and about the the start of this because context is for kings, so we got to give people context of what's what's going on here, why we chose this for the spooky series, and I think first, I mean, obviously, it's like the ultimate AI spooky story. You know, this like really is something that they're honoring a lot. Is sort of maybe sure falling into the trope of the evil AI. Um, that Star Trek loves the evil computers and stuff, but this is such a fun new take on it that, not fun in any circumstance, <laughs> <laughs> but fun, like, as a writing person, you know, as a writer, I'm like, ooh, what a great plot, but, like, number one, how dare you, <laughs> you know? So it's really great um, that we get to see this in a fresh new light, in a way scarier light, because it's not just some you know, like, Agamist-type computer, you know, or the Landru computer, which is scary in its own right, but this is like something that has taken over Section 31 and ha and is prepared to take over not only the Federation, but all of sentient life in the galaxy. So, what's like movie stakes we're dealing with here? 
I actually thought a lot of this episode reminded me of conspiracy. Yeah. Because Control is able to project holograms, which remember, this is like still pre-TOS of holograms are like yeah, <laughs> very cutting it. edge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they look good to people who aren't used to holograms, you know? So like mm-hmm. you can easily tell like all these, like Admiral Pitar, like Pike speaks to in this episode is a hologram. From doing this, the AI points out, I think, to uh, Leland that mm-hmm. is this a, is this in Perpetual Infinity? Am I just jumping? Yeah, it is in Perpetual Infinity, but you can say it. It's totally fine. We need to talk about it anyway. Yeah, the AI reveals to Leland that Starfleet relies so heavily upon chain of command; it's really easy to infiltrate. And this is yeah. is exactly what happened in Conspiracy. But again, such a fresh and interesting take on this yeah especially because like now we don't have like claymation bugs we have like really like of course state of the art to the time that it was coming out discoveries high budget uh, really high budget yeah spend so much money on each episode and you can tell that's something i've always admired about discoveries that it looks like a feature film every single episode does so gorgeous so well done and so creepy you know that we are slowly starting to put the pieces of this control puzzle together. So by the time that Arium is taken over, we know basically nothing still about control. And that's really scary to me because I'm so, like, as a person who sees Discovery a lot, I know. But to think that, like, wow, we're already episode 9 of season 2 and we still barely know anything or ways to combat control or how it takes over. And also control is learning and adapting at the same time. And it's learning how to take over first computers and starships and then people and biomatter and, like, why it's easier to take over Arium than it is, say, someone like Patar. So I just think that their evolution is really scary, too, and it's a really great place to start here with the death of a crewman that, like, we have seen a lot. We have seen in background scenes, We've, and then, of course, get this whole very anime opening of let's give you this entire side character's backstory because they're gonna be dead by the end of the episode that was like something that absolutely reminded me of any anime i've ever watched (laughs) i just think that becomes a predictable trope even in shows like Grey's anatomy does this a lot where suddenly you're learning about like this patient's whole love life and you're like oh no like they're about to die (laughs) yeah i mean i think this is a great expansion it like Arium is kind of a red shirt plus you know yes where she's given a really satisfying story and end to her life she's not just like killed randomly yeah (laughs) and we don't care about her because we get this opening scene with her and her I think fiance on the beach and they're walking together and it was the last video that she has before her husband died in a shuttle accident uh, and she um, became an android yeah, sort of uh, yeah she has cyber uh, <laughs> augmentation sorry she, three cheers for cybernetics yeah you know? don't like, shut it down guys come on yeah oh god yeah <laughs> luckily they zoom right past that era <laughs> they said we want uh, nothing to do with picard <laughs> yeah no <laughs> no it's it's really beautiful and you're right, this takes Richard to a whole new level um, because we do see the impact that she has on people's day-to-day lives, especially Tilly's life. It's clear that, obviously, later on, Tilly is t- telling Arium, like, you adore me, I know you do, and I know that, like, we and I adore you, and we're, like, best friends. And so the thing that really scares me about this episode, quite a few things, actually, but 
one of them being the fact that control can just take over Arium by like the slightest like red eye head tilt you know Mm -hmm. that's the only indication we get that she's changing and that control is taking over because otherwise you know i mean non catches on (laughs) just like really out here repeating our own catchphrases (laughs) (laughs) that's how we become like a a movement yes Yes. this is true i did watch all the vlog brother episodes i know how to do it exactly (laughs) (laughs) no but it's like non knows right away that something's going on but she doesn't pursue it in a way that's satisfying. sorry non sorry doesn't know what's going on what's going on she 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 knows what's going on but she can't seem to like take that next step into like i don't know just stand closer to her i was a little bit irritated by this watching it from a spooky perspective because i'm like i'm waiting for that shoe to drop i'm waiting to see when ariam fully is unable to hold control back any longer and i'm sorry but this says a lot about ariam like she is so strong so strong well so powerful that she can hold control back for this long because i know control is also adapting and learning but like holy moly leland had no chance you know so i'm just like ariam is a badass and it's really cool to see um you know when she tells tilly like stand right next to me be right here um it's just oh it's frustrating because i can't really figure out if control like, if she is fully aware or if she just is having these p- blank periods of time, I just don't know what she's experiencing. So I wish we had a little more insight into that because we could understand control more. But that's the whole point is they're not giving us enough to make me feel in control of the situation, to make me feel satisfied that, okay, everyone's going to make it out of this, okay. And it's so well done that they leave us dangling like that. But, I, ooh, it frustrates me. Yeah, I was watching Arian really close as well, trying to figure out what's happening with her and would anyone notice Mm -hmm. i think she does try to give hints but i feel like if she had this sense like to tell tilly stand next to me she should have said Mm -hmm. why because i am missing chunks of my memory and i don't know why but or Mm -hmm. like i'm doing things i can't control you know i i just wish that she had had that second but i understand Mm -hmm. that she was probably really scared and not sure what was happening or just wanted like someone maybe she yep Sorry, yeah, maybe or, she, like, couldn't say it, even. Like, control wasn't letting her or something. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to know. It's true. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> this episode is just... Um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting hearing about how uh, control did its slow takeover of Starfleet because at the beginning of the episodes, they introduce Admiral Pitar about how mm-hmm. she was a logic extremist and she was changing a lot of the protocols it was kind of like some red flags you know it's like i don't know about like what a logic extremist should be doing running section 31 um yeah and so when cornwall is because cornwall is here for this episode like this is really intense she's like on the run from starfleet because they've started to do crazy things and i mean technically discovery is also on the run (laughs) yeah because of everything going on with spock so i i thought it was a great way to set that up like already admiral patar is sus and then suddenly, later, I think in the middle of the episode, Cornwall tells us that Patar changed the way that uh, they use control and that instead of using them as kind of like a calculator, they would just do whatever they suggest, you know, and then because mm-hmm. in the end, the captain should have the final say, but without a captain, just let control start leading on. And so I think, obviously, 
Patar was compromised at that point, and that's when they started using holograms. Um, yeah. But like the Patar that he's talking that Pike is talking to this whole episode is a hologram. I just love Cornwall's presence here. She really adds to the drama of the episode and um also spock is here like this it's like all hands on deck type of situation i thought that the way that they entered into the section 31 headquarters was a really exciting scene and so like impressive to watch how they all work together to just randomly shout out um like flight paths for detmer to take and that's how they were gonna like get away from the from the spike mines um Mm -hmm. like they looked like little pepperoni cutters you know they were just like (laughs) destroying did i say pepperoni cutters (laughs) yeah i don't know why you said that but i went along with it they they look like pizza cutters just like slashing right into discovery but yeah i thought this episode just like atmosphere wise because you're so unsure what's going on with arium the path to get into section 31 is so sketch i'm just on edge this entire episode and i thought it was doing a great job of keeping you just glued to the screen yes ashlyn that is so true and i think too something else that makes this episode so successful is um the fact that we also have the spock element and we have the Oh, he murdered someone. And then Admiral Cornwall is like literally interrogating Spock in a Starfleet way. Obviously, it's very nice, but like, <laughs> um, like, why did you murder these people? And he's like, you don't understand. Like, I did not murder anyone. Um, and so they figure out in the like sort of beginning of the climax of this episode that Spock was framed. And that's when Tilly puts it together that Arium, what Arium has been doing, that she's been downloading the sphere data and trying to send it over to the ship in section 31 at the headquarters it's just like the beginning part of this is so good because it's building the suspense that's the other thing i wanted to say is this plot the sort of threat assessment of control reminded me so much of uh winter soldier the captain america movie because they have this whole essentially same thing threat assessment program built by hydra (laughs) spoilers um wasn't even built by the good guys because hydra is inside of um, (laughs) shield spoilers um so same exact like really similar plot and i thought that this was brilliant because this is a fun way to really divide us is to then be start starting to question who is running this all what's going on behind the scenes and is this threat assessment meant to keep everyone at bay you know and and i think captain america at one point has a really good quote where he's like like you're guiding people by fear and that's like how wars start you know instead of you know trying to prevent a war so it's really interesting and i just found that parallel to be really fascinating um especially when we see that freaking patar <laughs> is dead yeah. and like, frozen <laughs> and has been dead for two weeks that is the scary part because then you know, then they're starting to realize, oh my god, Pike was like, who did I just speak to? <laughs> like, what is going on? So I thought that this really shows great space AI horror, you know, like it's got like the perfect amount of both, you know, because we have like a friend who's been taken to the dark side. We have overarching creepy AI and then we also have just the horrors of space of like floating bodies frozen, perfectly preserved yes okay so this should remind you of something because this is directed by jonathan frakes yes so he like we're seeing that he is a master at 
episodes that have a lot of intense moments and also are really fueled by emotion and it's done so successfully in this episode it's incredible he's so amazing i love this man he says i saw (laughs) i'm sorry i saw like a little interview today on twitter and he said after picard season three he's hopeful to continue being riker and i was like what are you talking about like are you talking about a a riker show (laughs) is this the spinoff of the spinoff of the (laughs) spinoff yeah what do you mean that's so threatening <laughs> like that's so threatening and i want it it's like the most attractive kind of threatening, threatening like again. hey <laughs> yeah. you don't behave yourself there's gonna be a riker <laughs> series yes and i'd be like okay i'm <laughs> sad <laughs> um yeah. but anyway yeah that's exactly what look at this no i wrote was exactly what i said emotion and emotion is drawing you into the story um which is really essential to horror and i do think the movies and stories that i remember the most and am most impacted by are the ones that have this deep emotion like fueled by something that makes the show like how it is <laughs> yes blew away. No, thank you yeah. that's so so important i also love the simplicity of using the red eyes the last thing i want to add is that i always cry every time i watch this episode no matter what and i'm always annoyed i'm like damn i've seen this so much why am i weeping it's because it's done so well just to wrap up non she is used very effectively at the end because she's been sitting in the background this whole time she is the one who ends up saving the day and is able to eject arium into the airlock once control is completely taken her over she knows that's the only way to save everyone oh yeah and what a hard choice to make because michael can't make that choice and so uh non steps in to do that for her like that's such a such a bold and amazing thing to do i thought it was really important that what alerted non to a problem is when arium just tried to casually ask oh like your augmentation is for breathing right like you're a barzan and so when control arium like rips her breathing apparatus out that is terrifying like what a great scene to sort of foreshadow you know that was really smart and just another way to add to the spookiness of this yes i was really sweating when Aram started asking those questions i was like oh god get away (laughs) yeah okay and i wanted to play this quick clip um because it really reminded me of something funny i love spooky we're adding so much other media to these podcasts those memories and everything to her i know what she downloaded out of place Okay, so when Pike asked to open a secure channel to Burnham and Non only, I was literally thinking, I'm like, this is what you do when you find out tea about a person in a group text. <laughs> and you're like, I have to create a new chat between Burnham and Non. <laughs> I've got to spill this tea <laughs> before anything happens. It was just like the most extreme version of that. And I was cracking up that he's like, open the channel just to them too. <laughs> I'm dying. Oh my god, I'm dying, Rihanna. That's I'm not gonna lie, I have done that before. <laughs> no, oh yeah. No we shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought Pike was like very smart to do that, but also just I was cackling. Also kind of ruined the point because Nan was just down the corridor, so like how rude is yeah. that? I mean I know Pike doesn't know, but they're like, Oh, we're getting a calm just for us. <laughs> like secret secret. Chat. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, and then Lord. yeah. We all cry at the end. Well done episode. Thank you, Jonathan Franks, and thank you, Arium. Oh, rest in peace. In Perpetual Affinity, just moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> 
their horrible body makeup. Yeah, but like, <laughs> Jesus. Um, well, we just want to talk about the beginning scene where, well, we kind of already did, where Leland is taken over. Rihanna, did you have any other haunting takes, like, besides the fact that yes. this is when we learned that the holograms have completely, like, been giving all the orders? Did you have any other aspects of that scene that you were you were scared of <laughs> yes <laughs> okay. i was scared by this whole scene i think that it's really creepy that his eyes are like forced open i think it's creepy that he's like tied down okay i'm not a huge leland fan like i never i'm never gonna say that i am but i think it also made me realize that we hate leland that is control more than we hate leland the character and it made me think like wow that's like Borg almost, where you're like, we hate the Borg, but then you're like, but they're all victims. And so then you're like, oh, wait, you know, and so it made me sort of rethink what happened to Leland and the horror that he went through. Yeah, he wasn't a great dude to begin with, but like, that doesn't matter. It still is a terrible way to go. And so I just thought they did this scene so well with the creepy changing of the holograms, you know, to sh of people he trusts too like he knows they know exact control knows exactly what to do to get under his skin and kept you know changing to all these people that we love too as an audience and seeing that is really scary and hearing how yeah like you said about the chain of command and taking over slowly of course the body horror of the bot behind him and the the eye and then the blood in his eyes <laughs> and it went black you know like the, all that is just so good and creepy and then the, then the intro happens, you know, like you're, we're getting so much of this right in the beginning of this episode. And then really we don't come back to it for a while, which a brilliant moment of writing here for the Discovery team because like you're left dangling, sort of really wondering when are we going to talk to Leland again? Like no one knows that he's now a, a freaking deadly AI. So really cool. Well done. Amazing. Totally agree with you, Rihanna. Some great yeah. points. And I was actually thinking it's kind of like Voldemort and Umbridge where yeah. you throughout the books you sort of get to know Voldemort a little more and you're like oh yeah. man like he had kind of, a, <laughs> kind of a bad childhood and his mom died at birth and you start feeling yeah. bad for him yeah. and then like which is Leland and then Umbridge totally. you just like want to murder and you hope she dies in a terrible yes. way no and no matter what you learn about her it's never yeah, it's no, never she's good. irredeemable yeah, yeah she's irredeemable so that's how I really felt about control Umbridge is control yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in this scene and I would I mean, can you imagine Umbridge killing Voldemort? That would be crazy. <laughs> oh, that'd be actually cool. What a I, way to do yeah, it. Like kind, of a, kind of a queen, though. <laughs> then becoming Voldemort herself? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's rewrite this. Fanfic we, don't need, we don't need J.K. Rowling for this. We can no, just write we it here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, Ashlyn, shall we finish out our control section yes. with Through the Valley of Shadows? Ooh. <laughs> this one I had to add. I like called Ashlyn up. I was like, excuse me, <laughs> where's this episode? Um, to me, this was definitely one of the creepiest episodes I, re I recall watching. Um, it really scared me. Like even as what we were in high school or what we were in college, you know, but we, I, you can be scared at any age. And I was definitely <laughs> scared <laughs> by this episode, particularly because of how close Michael got to getting literally taken over by control. Yeah. Well, I think this is the episode that how strong control has become really begins to sink in for everybody because there's something so shocking. Like Michael and Spock are in the shuttle. They're going towards this abandoned ship, right? That they just like found. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. So um, they go 
to, to this ship that is supposedly abandoned. They don't know what happened to it. It's a Starfleet ship. Turns out control happened. Yeah. Uh, it ejected everyone into space. The first moment that I was really alerted to the fact that this is going to be really scary is when they drop out of warp and instantly bodies are hitting the, sh- the, the shuttle. And they're just yeah. like a ton of bodies floating in space. So you know like, oh, like this. That entire crew. This is not, this is really bad. Like everyone's dead. Um, yeah. And then when she finds, I wrote down his Lieutenant name. Gant. Oh, yeah, you I'm wrote sorry. it too, man. I just never write down the details. So I was really yeah, excited. Good job. Oh, sorry. I, I don't have his first name, so. No, I don't either. No. <laughs> 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 I said Lieutenant Gant is alive. <laughs> Yay. But uh, he he does really he gets he takes Michael off guard and he takes us off guard because it's reasonable yeah. to think that one person could have survived maybe for two weeks questionable but um, in as, space with no helmet yeah no survived for three seconds yeah eight seconds yeah <laughs> this is an automatic red flag for me. <laughs> okay so for you that was not at all put at ease <laughs> no I was. Dare say more ill at ease than ever before. <laughs> Seeing him be alive and breathing and talking within seconds of them beaming him in from space. He didn't have a helmet on. I think that that would have been, yes, like the most obvious one is like he was running out of oxygen and he had three seconds of oxygen left and they beam him in and he has his helmet on. Woo! He's alive. Makes <laughs> sense. But, like, I just did not believe it. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, like, how? Literally how? He's not, like, this species of, he- of like, a breathing space or whatever. Which is, like, pretty much no, no species. <laughs> There's no air in space. Yeah. Um, so, I was, yeah, I was just really suspicious right away. I'm cur- I'm interested to know, like, more so, about your perspective, So, Ashley. I... I thought in the beginning he was not under mm-hmm. Control's influence. And I obviously, like, I've seen this episode, so I know that he is <laughs> Control. Sure. But yeah. I was so put off guard because it was so exciting to get answers, finally, about the things they were wondering about. And so the answers about Control were exciting. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. we're learning more. This is really good. And, like, thank God he's here to help us um very true so i i thought because of his emotion and, and like how real he seemed to be i i didn't think he was controlled and i did not notice any of the other things you pointed out until Fair. i started thinking about it about halfway i was like well actually he probably is already controlled because maybe he wouldn't be alive but i <laughs> yeah. I, I just was so engrossed like in the story that i wasn't it, it didn't pull me out i guess yeah um well, and they're showing a face we know enough of, or you're like, hey, that look, that guy looks familiar, you yeah. know? So that's really smart, too. Yeah. And, man, it tricked me. It tricked Michael. Again, this this group chat breaks down even further because yeah. Pop, like, is just calling Michael and not calling Lieutenant yes. Gant. And he's like, Michael, Gant is control. <laughs> Every time you got to remove control from the group chat, y'all. Just don't forget that. It's really important. <laughs> I was laughing so hard because I'm sorry. I, okay, I know. I, I really respect your opinions, Ashlyn. Uh huh. I just. They're not always believe. smart opinions. <laughs> I respect them, though, uh-huh. because they're your opinions, and that's great. I just feel like Spock should, be, should have been 10 times more suspicious than he was about all this. He said, cool, Michael's friend's alive. 
looks like his vitals are great. <laughs> Let's take him back to his ship. He was also going, no, 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 I don't want to go back. Which, great acting by the control gant. Like, good job. <laughs> really replicating his fear and mm-hmm. stuff. But that's what's creepier is, yeah, you, you make it makes you want to believe because he's refusing to go back. He's not like, yes, learn to my trap. But it is, you know, like, it's sort of like, oh, sorry, we have to take you back. We ha- You know about this ship and you know how to, like, what systems are locked out and all of that stuff. So... I just think Spock should have never left him alone with Michael. <laughs> and Spock would have never, like, just been nonchalant about this when we know, when we've seen what saw, when we've seen what happened to Arium, when we saw what happened to Admiral Patar, um, or Commodore? Admiral? Oh yeah, I'm thinking Commodore O, <laughs> another infiltrator. You um, mean Vice Admiral. Yeah. <laughs> My baby girl, Jane Wade. Okay, Jane Wade always slips into the podcast. Um, So, I love her. Okay, yeah, so, I don't know. I just, I was kind of laughing at that because it's clearly a plot thing and that's totally fine, but um, it did make it really creepy that, like, Gant was just waiting for the moment that he could separate Michael from Spock and then he would make his move and he totally did. And, like, the creepy part, you know, and he's like... Michael's about to reach for her weapon. He's like, if you touch that weapon, I'll cross the room in 0.5 seconds and break every bone in your hand. Or something like that. And I'm like, wow. What the drama. Like, Control is bringing the drama right now. Um, But it is creepy and it's very intimidating. And it's... Yeah, this whole Gantt scene is very well done. I think that's when the illusion drops. It's like, oh, this is definitely Control. So they had to have that moment of extremity where Control's just like, yep, I'm not pretending anymore. Boom. Um, I'm going to kill you, <laughs> basically, if you don't cooperate. <laughs> and I thought the reveal that Michael is the target of everything that they've been doing was also very scary because that's the last thing <laughs> she wants or needs. Like, no one wants this, obviously. Yeah. But it also just seems so surprising that she is the key in all of these players i mean yes she's the main character so of course it's everything is michael like sneak with martin green does a wonderful job like during that revelation she's like what (laughs) like why (laughs) yes oh man what a what a like gorgeous way that this scene is done because you're absolutely right that shock and that horror of finding that out is really scary and i think too the fact that Michael was, like, seconds away from being taken by control and that Spock only realized he needed to magnetize the ground, you know, and that's what stopped the nanobots. So creepy, too, because there's so much, like, Borg nanoprobes, yes. you know, that I'm really thinking that the Borg are just, like, a less less evolved version of the Borg, you know? Like, this is, like, early days Borg light, <laughs> you know? Like, I really think that it's just creepy the way that they're able to do that especially with with like bodies you know like to see when she shoots him in the chest and then like the nanobots just like come in and repair it and like close up the hole that was so well done Oof, creepy yeah this was a really good fight and even Mm -hmm. when spot comes to and you think you got him because he does the vulcan nerve pinch and then yeah I, I control like makes a sassy comment like yeah, he's like that would work if i had, if I had nerves yeah, yeah. <laughs> i Bird. hate gant's voice too yeah. she's like yeah i'm gant and i'm like Ugh. <laughs> that's her wesley voice as well 
<laughs> oh yeah, I do. It. Sorry, Wesley. I love you. I just don't love Gant. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. Yeah. So Spock finally figures it out. Um, yeah. Can we move to the Pike section of this, please? Because yeah. this is one of my favorite Pike episodes. Uh, when... Yeah, Ashley's like, please, I need to talk about Pike. I need my fix. <laughs> I wish I was not driven by my lust for these characters, but it turns out that <laughs> I <it> am. <laughs> it's a real, like, it's really leaking into the show. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. But, okay, you cannot tell me that all his scenes on Borath are not creepy. And the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. they're so awesome. I love, because uh, before he goes in, he's brief that, like, Ash Tyler's son is down there. Like, this drama <laughs> continues that's, like, leaking yeah. over from season one. Um, totally. And so when you get there and Pike is talking to this main Klingon and then you find yeah. out that it's his son, that, that like, that's the baby. Yeah, it's that's really, Tanavi yeah, right there. <laughs> that's Tanavi. Like, son of none. He looks great. He is really, really unsettling. You just have no idea what's going on. And they don't give an explanation about how he became an adult. Except that, yeah, like, the time crystals are, like, working amongst the time crystals, like, really, like, messes with you. And you don't understand time. <laughs> he, well, like, I, puts I, them down. I don't think he said it quite like that. <laughs> no, I think it's more like time flows differently here. And that time is all equal. So he has the past, uh, what is it, pillar? He has the pillar of the past and the pillar of the present. And he, like, puts that key in. It's, like, the coolest stuff. It's very, like, ancient castle, very, like, witchcraft, mystical vibes I'm getting from this. It's so mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. And to see that plant, like, right, right when he plants it, it grows and uh, blooms and then dies. <laughs> like, it was really, it was really cool. And it also reminded me so much of Pike's path he's about to lead himself onto because time for him is about to become all connected and all very <laughs> non-linear you know because he's about to touch the crystal and so I was thinking that watching the plant like it's sort of Borath is birth life death and decay all in one you know and Pike is sort of experiencing that that his pseudo death and that his the end of the life that he expected you know, is all sort of compiling into this one. I don't know. It's a stretch, but I just thought it was really cool to see this scene and see how, just who, who their minds, like, how did they think of this? Yeah, not a stretch, Rihanna. I think that's a great yeah. point. So I think Pike interprets fate as being the way that you die rather than, like, because that's something that permanent that happens to you. And we think of fate as like, this is going to happen no matter what. And so mm -hmm. I think Pike believes, too, that this is death. Like, he'll be like this and then he'll die, like, right away, you know? Yeah, um, true. He doesn't understand that he can live a full life. And, and he doesn't, he, I mean, he doesn't know what's coming like we do. But anyway, I just, I thought that scene was one of the best scenes in this episode when he is saving the kids and you're just like, oh, God, like... It's, yes. it's so hard and wonderful to watch. I just love Pike. And then he turns, like the whole screen changes behind him. He turns and looks, and then he up he's rolling in his BB machine. Um, yeah. And that, like he's walking down a really long hallway. Just like the visuals. Sorry about I'm BB so machine. so sorry you said BB machine. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I just can't believe you said it like that. But yes, this, this scene transition is 
oh my god it's off the charts it's so good it's so good yeah um and i and even after the vision pike just is like gives the best speech and is the best human ever but i think the mystery still remains in borath too and i haven't gotten all the answers that i want and pike is just in here for a brief period of time shows some like crazy heroics and then yeets yeah literally it's crazy it's so cool though well i think too what really makes the scene spooky and like just so successful it's just like the sheer horror of it you know when he gets close enough to see his face after he's in the wheelchair and pike is seeing his future um you can see just like the future pike like the silent scream you know like i can't even speak and anson mount does this like scream of horror that is just so chilling and so well done and I just think like those actors get actors like that who can commit so fully to the role it reminds me of Mulgrew and Patrick Stewart and really so many of these Star Trek actors Brooks all these captains too are just like you know like they literally put their all into every scene and that's something that I've always really respected about this cast of Discovery as well you're talking about emotion to like make a horror scene deeper felt this is really also falling into that as well yes Rihanna a thousand percent i totally agree with you um yeah. i also wanted to read the line which um we said at the beginning of the pod which is said by what's his name tanavik tanavik Ten- yeah. we've had this discussion before i never yeah. remember his name tanavik says the present is a veil between anticipation and horror the lift the veil and madness may follow so this is when he's talking mm-hmm. to pike about how when you know your fate it might drive you crazy and you might drive you mad yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just love, though, that then Tanuvik was, like, honoring him by saying, like, you are brave to do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, whoa. He's like, nice. I re- yeah, really respect you. Yeah, that was cool. Um, all right. Shall we go exit this universe, Rihanna? I think we got to. <laughs> um, okay. So now we have left the Prime Universe, and now we are in the mirror, which is exactly what the crew figures out at the beginning of Despite Yourself. I wrote on my notes that there's universal confusion, so I just wanted to bring that <gasps> to light. Good one. <laughs> so funny. I was so impressed by Lorca, and it, once more, go Whoa. listen to our Villains Disco series episode, mm-hmm. because we talked extensively about Lorca. I just want to point out that he is being so smooth in this episode. He, like, to me, if, if I was trying to get back to the main universe once I got there, I would just like start shooting everyone and leave. Like I, I would not just continue being my prime self. You know, like I would mm-hmm. revert immediately. But Lorca, despite all of the temptations, you know, he he's just like stays like he is the prime Lorca. So I I was just in awe, <laughs> which I I don't like to say in awe Lorca, but I was like he does a yeah. really good job. I know also because he's on the run and like he was being hunted for so that's part of it but also it's because he's patient and he's willing to play these cards correctly in order to get what he wants he's a very careful man yes ashlyn oof he does too well in this episode to be honest like when he smacks his head against the oh god um, so unhinged the door (laughs) to like make it look like michael beat him up which you know is nice for michael to not have to do that but I was just like, that's so metal and so unnecessary. Back when I thought this was normal Lorca, I was like, God, he's so cool. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, face. oh wait, no, that's just like normal, normal day in the yeah. mirror universe. <laughs> yeah. Wake up, smash your face, go to work. Yeah, go to work. Um, 
Yeah, so this episode is so unnerving because none of us really know what's going on. And also, this is exactly the episode that my girlfriend last saw. This is unfortunate for her. Poor thing is in like a really rough patch of discovery in my opinion. I have a lot of issues with this part, mainly because of stuff that we discussed in our Death Fakeout series coming up with Colbert. Um, and just sort of like how no one even realized he was dead for like a good half of the episode. Um, infuriates me to no end uh, and really turned me off to Discovery. But I will say about this episode that it is so creepy because you understand only parts of what's going on and at least for my girlfriend she's not seen tos she knows about the mirror universe because of me but was still not right away like okay i know what's going on boom ready to go ready for this mirror universe shenanigans she's like really like cautiously waiting in like oh my gosh what is this she's like is it some other like reality some other like She's like, if this is a bullshit trap travel thing again, <laughs> I'm like, who knows? Um, so it's just really interesting to see her watch it in comparison to me watching this episode for like a spooky context because I'm just like, this is scary for a first time viewer, especially if you don't know what's going on with the mirror universe. Even if you do, it makes it scarier because you know how unhinged the mirror universe is and you know how volatile the people can be, especially because the first opening moments of them entering the universe is the uh a star supposed starfleet ship destroying a vulcan ship you know and calling them rebels and stuff so that's very off-putting as well yeah man thank you for sharing that perspective because it's been so long yeah i haven't had that perspective since tos but when star trek goes mirror they go so mirror they go hard which is again another example of why discovery does a great job taking old um, themes or old stories and revitalizing them in such a cool way like especially the fact that this whole season is because of mirror Lorca it's just insane to me and I, I love I love that plot twist so much it's one of my favorites on the other side of this we are getting the Ash Tyler change that's happening because he goes to see and I, I know Rana doesn't want to talk about this so I'm just gonna breeze over um, because I do think it is spooky uh, like the change it that's is. happening in Ash is really scary and hard to watch and also just confusing. <laughs> it's like, what's going on with Ash? But like yeah. he goes over to Laurel, who's in the brig, and she supposedly has awakened to Kuvma uh, from, or no, Vok. <laughs> yeah, she's awakened Vok <laughs> from Ash. But uh, it doesn't happen. And he just gets like grumpy and runs away because he's like, uh-oh, I'm starting to have uh like flashbacks and ptsd triggers from the surgery that happened to me so clearly like something in him was awakened but he's not like fully klingon yet yeah and so <laughs> there's been a glitch in the system or yeah something. i think there's been a glitch yeah um <laughs> beautiful <laughs> yes uh <laughs> so to me like just watching that whole thing is like terrifying especially the first time because you have no idea what's happening I think almost the creepiest part, like, yeah, it's awful that he kills Dr. Colbert, but then afterwards, how calm he is when he's interacting with Michael and how yeah. he doesn't even, of course, he doesn't say anything, but he doesn't even act any differently. He acts the yeah. exact same after he just murdered Dr. Colbert. And I don't know if it's because he can't remember that he did that or because Volk is completely in control. I don't know. But th they, like, have sex in that scene yeah. and to me that is the most haunting part of the episode thank you i agree ashlyn i think that this did a really great juxtaposition for me 
um, and probably what made me dislike it more because it's so unnerving and so unsettling to see this contrast of Michael being so sweet with Ash and us knowing the ramifications of what just happened, particularly because Michael is in a really tough position. She's having to be captain of the Shenzhou and the Mirror Universe and killing <laughs> people who are trying to kill her, you know, a lot of assassination yeah, attempts. she also does murder today. <laughs> she does murder today. They both murdered someone, then came back together and had sex. Like, it's just very disturbing. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's so true. Yeah, that... <laughs> what? Yikes. Big yikes. That's just red flags all over. Like, this relationship is not working. <laughs> oh no. They both yeah. murdered. Yeah, and, and we know later, of course, that uh, he's going to choke her out, you know? And so, like, it's just horrid what's happening to Michael on top of everything else. And an understandable, like, why why Saru doesn't tell her. We've talked a lot about this in the past, but I am just so annoyed and impressed by this episode. I know I said this, but I just think that it does so well and to introduce us into the mirror universe and the horrors that take place there and how it's pretty much just like literally if this is like Nightmare Before Christmas, the mirror universe is the Halloween town, <laughs> you know, like absolutely. Rihanna, that's hilarious comparison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, I love that they show the spooky agonizer once yeah. um, Lorca is down there because they keep the old TOS kind of cheesy animation where once you're in the agonizer, yeah. it's like your skeleton yeah. is lighting up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just going out on the town and i yeah. love that so much and it's it's just as creepy like a little cheesy mm -hmm. but very creepy and i mean you watching Lorca, who you still think is like nice prime Lorca, being executed or <laughs> electrocuted <laughs> oh, thinking about oh, hunger scary. games um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah watching Lorca be electrocuted is yeah agonized whatever you want to yeah. call it agonized yeah um is very Ooh, spooky yeah. as well so there it is absolutely so are we gonna jump to the future now hell yeah let's do it let's do it we're gonna so, come back don't you. worry season two is yeah. waiting for us <laughs> we're bouncing back we've had a lot of really great season two episodes to discuss so far i'm really excited now to be moving to season four we are talking the episode Stormy Weather, and again, I just really want to thank our amazing listeners for remembering some of these awesome episodes, uh, because I love Discovery. I just am not as familiar with season four, since it's the most recent season. It's been really fun to be able to add it into our watch list of things. So, Ashlyn, I want to talk about first impressions of this episode, um because I really strongly remember watching this episode for the first time. Of course, it wasn't that long ago now that I can, now that I'm thinking about it, but it left a really deep impact on me. And I'm curious what, how you felt watching this episode then and now. I, to be honest, of all the episodes in season four, this one does not stick out to me. I barely remembered what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Totally fine. Um, yeah, absolutely. I remembered that at one point Zora would sing Stormy Weather. Yeah. And because of the title. And I remembered Gray played the game with Zora. So I think mostly the Zora moments were what I remembered. And I kind of glossed yes. over the whole like trapped in the void situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it made it so exciting to watch because of the spooky series. I just... Yeah. I mean, like, accidentally, we are doing, like, a void history with the spooky series because we're talking yes. about all these episodes throughout all these different series that Saru brings up. So, anyway, for, for you, Rihanna, what was your perspective of it? I think as a writer, I was really impressed by the choices they made in this story. So I love the way that they introduced this, them entering the subspace rift, because exactly like you said, Ashlyn, I'm brought immediately back to night and to, what's the other Void episode? <laughs> um, with Enterprise, where yes. um, they were going through. Yes. Wait, wait, and the Flux one, it. I think it's called. Yeah, that's, that's the one I'm talking about. The doctor, um, Doctor's Orders. Yes, and Doctor's Orders. Thank you. Yes, from Enterprise. So good. I really love that, of course, it, this is Discovery. We have a crew who is a problem-solving machine, you know, and they have to decide what to do, how to figure out more information, because there's no place to pinpoint on Detmer's sensors even where to start, you know, or where to back up from and try to get out of this t uh, place in space. And this is while still believing that they have the spore drive as another option. So I really like that they started with that. So we have a sense of security. Like, okay, yeah, this is scary, but we've got the spore drive that's never failed us before. Well, just that one time when they jumped a million too many times <laughs> from Lorca. Um, so, you know, it's like, okay, cool. We're, we'll be fine. And so, but still, I remember watching it uh, my first time and just being really scared and like also just sort of like rubbing my hands together in excitement of like here we go when um the dot was started like screaming as it disintegrated and got eaten by the void like what a beautiful way and so haunting what a great way to start an episode because then of course they're like okay here's the intro enjoy think about that while you're listening to this intro <laughs> you know and so uh it creates that really unsettling feeling and i'm just like really excited that they added an episode with this kind of flavor to Discovery because we've seen a lot of body horror, we've seen a lot of torture, a lot of like mind psychedelic horror. And so it was really cool because like I said earlier, you know, sort of showing the horrors of space with the floating like preserved ice bodies, um, this goes another step further, you know, and once we <laughs> exit our universe and they're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with the 10C and everything else, that this is, really important that they complete this mission too so there's that extra pressure anyway this is my long way of saying i think that this episode stands out to me so much because it's got such a different flavor from the rest of discovery um while still being discovery vibes you know like they're still using fundamentally the teamwork to solve the problem this episode is just so well written so thank you for <laughs> listening to my monologue yeah of course so many great points i think that this is a fun episode to watch too because discovery rarely runs into strange things in space because yeah. it's so plot driven like they're not a <laughs> science vessel yes. you know like i like they talk about this is the core mission i want to take discovery back to discovery but i <laughs> what <laughs> um this is a core mission of the federation is exploration um but they're so busy. Like, Discovery, is, yeah. they don't have time for that. And so having an episode where they have to fight the elements is really fun to watch. Also, I want to point out that 
all three of these episodes that have had ships that have had ships caught in a subspace rift or a void or something where the crew really goes through a lot there have always been um oh even neelix low-key like there were almost, there were almost two like in the haunted um the haunting, haunting of deck, deck 12, 12. Yeah. yeah not quite the same but that one too is is similar um, but all all of these episodes have hallucinations in them. And so I thought it was really cool to include Book having these hallucinations of his father because you have the added confusion of why is Book having literally full sensory hallucinations. And in one scene, he's in sickbay and Palmer and um, Hugh are in there. They're seeing him talking to himself. That's really unsettling. And you just don't know what's wrong with Book. Is this something related to the plot is this something because he's still processing the trauma of losing his planet caitlin is home you know so i was yeah. just like so happy that they included another like person who's tripping out like seeing hallucinations like how um flocks dealt with his time in enterprise and seven of nine as well yes ashlyn and coda i was immediately brought back to as well because we have another father who's not really your father. And here's the thing. I think here's the takeaway that we're getting from the, the spooky series. Is that when your ghost dad is pushing you to do something, don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> so, how does that work in Star Wars? <laughs> listen, there. But only if they're, pushing, if they're pushing you to do something that you want to do, great. But like... These two ghost dads in Star Trek were really pushing Janeway and Book into something that they hated or something they knew wouldn't, wouldn't be best for them. So I thought that was really interesting. What a great way to put him in here. Agreed, Ashlyn, to have sort of almost a ghost coming back to him to haunt him um, Jeez, that while is such we're a in the darkness. This is such a great connection. I can't yeah. deal with this. Yeah, Star Trek is amazing. Like They really pay attention to what the what plots are successful and why. And I think that this is the reason why this episode is so successful is because we have these two working elements. Um, and we know that the, the hallucinations are from the incomplete jump they did with the spore drive because mycelium network cannot travel out of there, <laughs> out of this void. Also, I'm just talking about Picard's mom, like uh, when oh. she was a ghost too. Sheesh. Do you remember that? Yeah, it wasn't even really her. Parental yeah. ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to any of them. Um, yeah. I can't believe we didn't talk about that episode. But anyway, um, I. So then on the Zora side of things, um, she is like just unsettling too because she's just become sentient and has emotions. The computer does, and the episode starts out with Saru and Michael kind of looking at each other in the turbo lift, like, when Michael says, please, like, it's good to be polite, mm -hmm. and then Zora says, like, I can tell you're unsettled, Captain, by me, and it's like, oh, so it, it's giving me Hal vibes as well from mm -hmm. 2001, where Hal and Zora can both figure out the state of the emotions, and it's a different type of surveillance that we are not comfortable with, Yeah, but it's also really hard because you rely so much on the computer and you can't you literally like can't fly the ship without Zora so it's a really awkward situation and I thought that it was beautifully handled and obviously they have like a non-howl direction going their thing that they're doing with Zora but totally. but before you get through this episode at least I felt very stressed about I'm I I'm uncomfortable about the situation happening with Zora yes Ashlyn thank you for bringing that up 
this is such a great way they handled this because I was expecting control <laughs> again some sort of another AI plot and I was a little bit like no please don't go this direction and so it was really wonderful of course also having seen Calypso the short trick knowing that something was going to change but I also I think I was more on edge because of that because in Calypso the entire Discovery crew is like gone and Discovery is just like floating in space and Zora's just by herself until he shows up, that guy. So I'm just like freaking out a little because I'm like, what if she like ejected them into space? Or like, what if she like destroyed them all? But instead you're starting to learn this episode, no, this, something else is going on here and she's evolving into something new and beautiful and very like incredible, but also still getting her sea legs, her emotional sea legs. You know, it's kind of reminds me of a well done data emotion chip <laughs> arc if this were well done this is how it would look <laughs> but then we wouldn't have the life form song <laughs> oh that's true i do love that song <laughs> so i'll spell it in. <laughs> yeah i mean my my criticism of zora is that when your captain is being like essentially roasted on the bridge and is an extreme like physical discomfort she sings stormy weather and <laughs> yeah like it's not an upbeat not song like it's about no. like feeling under like feeling bad and you know like I, it's about stormy weather like because because yeah. we're not together and yeah. it's it, it's raining all the time like it's just not a very inspiring message <laughs> the, True. The, the thing is is that jazz standards like stormy weather evokes so much emotion in you at least it does for me because i grew up yes. listening to all these songs and there's just something so human and so beautiful about those songs and stormy weather is just such an amazing song it kind of doesn't matter what the lyrics are but i yes. was kind of laughing i was like you could do a love song like you know <laughs> she should play don't stop believing <laughs> i would die that would really take me out of it <laughs> that would not work <laughs> That would really, really just ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> You're so right, though, because I didn't, I thought it was too apt, the song, but it made it really good because it's like, okay, like, I can weather the storm. Um, and you're right, the jazz standard is just, oh, it's so gorgeous. It like, it, it just makes your heart like expand, you know, at least it does for me. And I just felt like I really made this episode feel complete even though it was super cheesy you know but I didn't care because I was like I love this I love that now we're getting why the title's called this and the double meaning of it and the way that Zora and Michael were able to help each other but yeah don't get me wrong I get a little bit irritated with Zora in this episode too because I'm like girl like we get it's hard but like we were in we were in a really really tense situation but they all figure it out because they put their brain they put their brains together their heads together <laughs> And it's, you know, because of Grey and it's because of Zora and Michael and everyone, you know, working together to do this. But uh, one other thing I was going to say is that we talked a lot in the earlier series, serieses, series <laughs> plural, about how people react to spooky situations and how they <laughs> react to That's the scientific term, I think. Yeah, spooky situations. And how for say TOS TNG it turns into obsession you know and the character becomes so over preoccupied and so po so possessed by this obsession you know that it they seem to become a different person and I think for people in Discovery 
because of the weight, the immense weight on all of their shoulders, I think that people hate feeling useless in the face of fear. And so they push themselves beyond their limits and beyond what may be like safe, you know, or uh, whatever for the situation. Like, oh, well, she couldn't suggest to go down by herself to like go and repair this thing. And because um, she's just needs to feel useful. And so I'm sorry to laugh. I'm just thinking that then, you know, when they all have everyone go into the pattern buffer, I just think about lower decks all the time. So I'm just thinking about them being like, okay, we don't know what's going on, but we'll, we'll yeah. head into the pattern buffer. And, and especially because Saru says, like, please go in with pairs so you're not alone. I'm like, sheesh, that sounds really scary. Like, they don't know. I don't know what the pattern buffer, if you even remember how you're in there, if it just feels like two seconds. No, but I know for Hoshi. It's Scotty. It, yeah. It, so anyway, it's just like whoa, a lot going on. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that about. Sorry, I just yeah. I I will say I feel like lower deckers would know the situation. Yeah. <laughs> they know that there's some some action that well, needs to be taken. I feel like this is all the disco crew, so they all like came to the future together. True. You know, like they all know about the ten C destroying yeah. Cajun. Like this is such huge news. It's like how can you not know what the ship's plans are? You know. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. It just always cracks me up that line. Um, yes. But that better that because they there's a chance they won't survive. And Detmer says better that be- than being slowly eaten by the void. I'm like, yep. It looks pretty painful. Even if a dot can scream out, like you do not want to go that way. Yeah, just in general. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to let the void take you. Yeah. Um, exactly. So now we're gonna jump and just talk about. Um, we're gonna spore spore it up. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about Giorgio in season three because once she gets to the future, things are not going well for her. She is glitching out all over the place and it's not good like she tries to pick up stuff and she keeps dropping it because she's glitching out yeah. like because this is not her universe and it's not her time and before yeah. because it wasn't her universe but it was the correct time zone she was supposed to be in she was fine <laughs> oh yes i'm the standard uh prime time prime time <laughs> Yeah, but then when she's 900 years in the future, everything's wrong. And so yeah. uh, it's like degrading her, like not in like an emotional way, <laughs> on a mole- molecule level. Like yeah. she's just starting to vanish sort of. Um, yeah. And so there are a lot of scenes where Colbert is talking to her and is especially trying to get down to like her, her mental health problems. Like we're here for you, girl. Like you need to be honest with us. We need to like figure out what's wrong with you. But a lot of the time she's hiding it or it's like failing her in stressful situations. Ooh, yeah, and why I wanted to talk about the scene in Scavengers is because that is probably when I was most freaked out, especially because I really love Empress Giorgio. She's like probably maybe like second or third of my favorite characters in Discovery. And so I have just like, a I really love her. And I think that she was such a great addition to season three in the future. And so when we see that she's starting to glitch out and starting to, like, you can tell she's in a lot of pain while this is happening, too. And so this is, happens a little bit in the middle of the episode, and then mostly by the end of the episode is when Michael finally realizes when they're back, you know, save all those people who were put into, like, enslavement from the Orion Syndicate. So that was really cool. Save the day, and then Georgia was glitching, and the way that she it flashes like from each scene I think was really well done it's very jarring I feel it like I feel like I'm going through it too 
Um, just, yeah, go back and watch a few of those scenes, just from an artistic perspective, even. I thought that it was so creepy and so well done um, that we're that we get to see what Georgia was seeing and also experience some of that similar like fear and confusion. Cause what a crazy thing to happen to yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? And I'm sorry if we put glitch by Taylor Swift in your head. It's still in my head. Every, anytime someone says glitch, I've just been singing it. So no, literally same. I'm just over here like, I'm not even sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Let's go all the way back to season two now um, (laughs) and talk about Saints of Imperfection. This is the last episode of our Out of This Universe section where, of course, we are now in a different... I think we've been in a different universe for every one of these (laughs) uh, (laughs) these episodes. And now we are in the Mycelium Network. This is the episode where Tilly gets taken by the entity known as May... Um, that is a part of mycelium and drags her, recorporates her body, drags her into this, like, I don't know what, (laughs) what do they call uh, it? The the cocoon. Yeah. Yeah. Drags her into this cocoon thing, breaks down her body molecularly, then rebuilds her body in the spore, in the mycelium network and is like, okay, you need to help us get rid of this monster that is here. And you have to, like, you promised you'll help us, blah, blah, blah. Tilly's trying to be very professional, very Starfleet. But while this is happening, the mycelium are, like, going onto her arm and burning her arm and trying to, like, degrade, not degrade, break trying her down. to, like, break her down. Yeah, exactly. Mon- again, not emotionally, but <laughs> molecularly. <laughs> Georgia and Tilly are being broken down in different ways. Um, and we find out later that Hugh is also has been fighting back against this breakdown attempt for months, however long he's been in here. Yeah, and like so, four or five episodes. <laughs> sheesh. Yeah, so I don't know if it's been months, months, but it's been a, a hot minute um, since he died. And so... I find the premise of this really cool and also very spooky because, like, the world you're in is literally, like, rejecting you and trying to break you down. And, <laughs> again, it sounds like a really tough, <laughs> a tough time for all of them. Don't let, a, don't let the mycelium network break you down, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, Ashlyn, how did you feel about this episode? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I really like this one. I thought that May really added a lot of tension to the episode because finally she's getting what she wants. She has dragged Tilly into the network and she's so terrified of the monster that's killing her home. She's completely blinded to all reason. And so I I think this episode really comes to a head when they finally find Hugh and he's all curled up. Stamus is like, oh my God, this is my husband. And like Michael's freaking out, Tilly's freaking out. Um, but May just wants to kill him and she's this unknown X factor in the plot and in the situation where she actually like she gets a phaser she could kill Hugh right now after everything that's happened and so for me I really like that scene I mean I'm like very scared (laughs) by that scene because I don't know what May's gonna do I thought it was a really like great atmosphere especially when they're walking down the hallways of the like discovery because it's half in the neural neural network. That's not what it's called. Imperial network. Mycelium. Mycelium. Um, it's like mycelium. Ha- 
My Serial Network is really strong, guys. You're listening to I My Serial Network. <laughs> Next up, Frosted Flakes. <laughs> we thought of different things. I thought of, I thought of like a network of friends, and you thought of a network of radio. <laughs> but this is the Mycelium, a network of mushrooms. Thank you. It's a different network. Um, yeah, so like Discovery is half in, half out. And I really thought, and like all the lights are out, you know, on the part of Discovery that's in. And it really reminded me of the Upside Down from Strange New Worlds because there's all this Ooh, like random yeah. junk floating around and it looks like and debris debris or, or like not un- even debris. like they're underwater almost. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great connection, Ashlyn. Yeah. Uh, this is when Michael talks about the unique agony of uncertainty. And I thought that was such a great line and a great way of demonstrating how fear can manifest itself. You know, I, there's so much to that. I think that you can be so afraid of stuff that you're just not stuff stuff that isn't either known yet or stuff that is uncertain in your life you know that I agree about that it was just really what a great line and a great episode of course to bring you back but also just to give us more of an inclination of how the mycelium network works you know and what can happen when a human is trapped in there what can happen over a long period of time you know and I'm so glad that they were able to figure out, okay, no, we're not killing Hugh. We're getting him out of here and to get Tilly and everyone home safe. Um, but yeah, just an important one to add because it is out of this universe and also has misunderstandings going on. And some monsters because literally Hugh's yeah, the monster. She calls him a monster. She calls Hugh the monster that's destroying their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that is exactly why it's the transition to our monsters and misunderstandings section. Um, I want to talk next about the sound of thunder, which is a great episode where Saru is back on Kaminar for the first time since he left. And I want to specifically talk about the end of the episode because at some point Saru and his sister, or no, just Saru is captured by the Ba'wul and beamed up to their ship. And then a couple minutes... Oh, at the same time? Yeah, and then a couple minutes later, his sister joins as uh, an extra thing to torture him with, essentially. Like, Mm -hmm. you are going to suffer, but also to make a point to anyone else who, like, talks about the Ba'wul or, like, spreads any, like, info, we're also going to punish them, too. So, like, they're trying to make an example, I think. Like... And, yeah, and because Saru is the first to survive Vaharai in... Um, I believe like 3,000 years 2000, or something. 2000. 2000 years. So that's incredible. And they, of course, want to keep that hush-hush because this is the Ba'ul's main hold that they have on the uh, Kelpians is that, you know, you will participate in the culling because that's how it's been done and you will die and go mad if you don't, you know. So it's this misinformation campaign that Saru has completely demolished because he's awesome like that. Um, but... Ashlyn, I loved this set design and like character costume, whatever, however they did CGI, however they did the Ba'ul, looked so good and so, so creepy. Yes, totally agree. Because it's kind of dark in there. It's uh, like medium sized space. Um, pretty soon in the scene, Saru is like chained to the wall and then his sister ends up getting chained to the wall. The Ba'ul use these really like interesting robot sort of like drone creature Mm -hmm. like drone like tech to scan them and basically like 
that's their hands. Like the Ba'ul, we see a little bit later, they come out of this goo pit that's in yeah. the center. And I thought that was the it's best evil design. Yeah. yeah. So have we talked about before that is this Armis's um, origin? <laughs> oh, the skin of evil. Like, is this... It's the Ba'ul. Does, does he get separated? Like, is he a Ba'ul that's just been, like, separated from his kind? No, he he's this the uh, skin of evil. So he's just been separated from goodness and oh, you're right. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, because he. I, I, I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. It was but like all the gods who like twist. shed their worst traits. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> but aren't they also? I mean, they could be. He could have like an ancestor or some relation to the bow. I'm so. saying. <laughs> Hashtag Armus is a Paul. <laughs> I love this connection. Um, but I, I thought it was probably one of the creepiest looking villains, or not even villains. This is the other thing that keeps tripping me up is that um, it reminds me actually of the Chicote episode where he is on like he's in the war and oh, he's nemesis. trying. Yeah, Nemesis. Exactly. It's kind of yeah. yeah, Nemesis. Lol. Um, uh, where he thinks he's fighting for the quote-unquote good side but it's really just two species and like you shouldn't have you shouldn't take a side um this is like it this reminds me of it because the baul have much better technology and so they're the ones who are communicating with discovery whenever they want to they're not being very like nice about it but this isn't some big evil villain like q or the borg that are here to take over the federation and that's why they look so creepy they're just like that's how they are they're just like chilling (laughs) on the planet and they look so creepy to us bipedal creatures so i was really trying to reconcile how do i not judge them just solely based off of their appearance because like star trek has taught me obviously like you can be really chill and look like and you can have like 10 legs or whatever you know (laughs) yes Ashlyn, here's how I judge them. <laughs> um, they basically enslaved the Kelpians. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I know they're the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Not by their appearance. But it doesn't help. <laughs> they're, they're creepy rising from the shadows, the creepy voice, the like spinning machine they have. It's just all creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a fantastic scene. Man, it's terrifying. It's so yeah. scary. Um, yeah, and Saru, just because he's badass and leveled up on his Kelpian uh, journey, he was able to break the, like, robot before it drilled into his eye or something. Oh, really God, creepy. I was thinking about Rihanna hating all the eye stuff. I hate that eye gore stuff. <laughs> and they do it so much in Star Trek, especially at the Borg. I'm always like, oh, so gross. Yeah. So, Rihanna, I know you have such a thing for Saru, and he's one of your favorite characters in Discovery. Ooh. After watching this scene and a lot of the other ones from Spooky, like this watch through has been kind of life changing for me. I am on the Saru train. Not yes! not that I wasn't before, but I'm more on it. I'm like in the middle of the train rather than just like <laughs> smoking out the back car, you know? Um, so I I love Saru and especially seeing him like literally like break the chains from off the wall and is like knocking yes. down all the drones and it's just like destroying the baul it's so like whoa yeah it's like metaphorically whoa. and physically breaking chains whoa yeah it like yeah me- like king he's a king he's king um, yeah but a big theme i thought that this was showing for discovery is that a lot of these really deep truths are coming to light so 
things that characters have believed their entire lives are completely changed in this season. Like Saru thinks that you have to die once you get Baharai. Wrong. You can live a long life. <laughs> um, Michael in Perpetual Affinity finds out that her mom is alive, which is a truth that she thought her entire life. And boom, now she's alive and she's chilling. Um, in a couple episodes, we're going to talk about New Eden, which are also people who have this like wrong idea of the past. So I've, I've just, I just think it's an interesting kind of web that they're connecting through a lot of these episodes. And I think it's partially what makes it such a good season is because we're getting all of these answers to questions we didn't even know we had wow period that was beautiful <laughs> yeah agreed the last thing before we move on is rihanna how do you feel about them forcing all the kelpians to go through Baharai? <laughs> <laughs> where's our ethics series oh, it's like this seems not because this is so good. dicey <laughs> They're all like screaming in agony. Like, <laughs> they could have been like going to the bathroom or like giving birth or like literally a whole number of things could have been happening. Um, no warning. I know that overall it's a good thing, but you've got to ask for permission before you completely alter an entire species. Um, like what if they're not supposed to go through early, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What if there's like a time? Like what if you just tell them like... We're going to have a Starfleet station come here and watch the Ba'ul. <laughs> you guys go through Baharai. On your own, yeah. Yeah. I think it's super dicey, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I thought that too. I was just seeing how you were yeah. just checking in. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, like, what if it makes them all have, like, bad knees in the future? Like, some weird oh. chemical imbalance. It's like, well, my, yeah. like, arms didn't finish growing and now they're done. You my know? early Baharai. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, what if you're, yeah. like, two and you went through Baharai? So... I want to continue with the Kelpian theme, though, and move on to Sakal, which, mm. Did you go, mm, just because of human Saru? <laughs> and all the hotties. The Jordan Okay, Culver, so I had a... Phil Michael. I had a, uh, a fear come to mind when I was watching this episode, Sakal, um, because I realized maybe I'm subconsciously making these watch lists because I want to see all the hottest characters together. <laughs> do the hottest things do the hottest things because yeah i mean you know i think everyone who listens to the pod knows that like we're thirsty for human saru Um, (laughs) (laughs) also dr colbert dr colbert looks fantastic michael looks so good as a trill like oh lord i just yeah all these people look amazing (laughs) yeah i was like sweating a little watching this Seriously. it's so good <laughs> yeah and of course it's because of the hologram that the character Sakal is stuck in he is a kelpian who has never he's like my dog harley like he's had no socialization um mm. and so he's only interacted with these holograms and he's the last kelpian on this like planet he caused the burn like this poor little guy um yeah. so this is the ep- I wanted to include this episode because the conditions that Sukal has been living in this whole time are terrifying. And I know they didn't mean to be. Like, his mom was trying to set him up for the best life he could. But at this point, it's been 125 years that Sukal has been here alone. And all of the holograms are starting to, like, rot away because of the dilithium or, like, something toxic in the air that's just eroding all of the technology. Um... So it's really falling apart and crumbling, and it's just not a good environment for Sukal at all. But I love the atmosphere in this, and it's one of the most memorable 
episodes for me in terms of like when you talk about spooky episodes I think about this one right away just because the atmosphere itself and the confusion of what's going on is so um baffling in this yes Ashlyn scenically too just amazing and of course with the monster locked up um behind those doors it's clearly like forced closed and everything but they were open from the outside and so it shows that this is all of Sukal's fears manifesting into this monster which you know we talked about with seven and her hallucination but this is like a hologram we know the safeties are probably on that it probably can't actually hurt but the thing is is also kind of reminding me of the one with the clown um the thaw the thaw it was kind of reminding me of the thaw as well because he is so like this monster keeps the kelp monster that like the elder kelpian told him about in his stories that he's now manifested is terrorizing him and this nearly causes another burn you know and so it's showing that this is a true impact that this like holographic simulation and this kelp monster that manifested has really had a toll on poor Sukal. yes yeah it really does i love the scene when saru goes to talk to the elder hologram because he has been reading Sukal bedtime stories and he sings in lullabies he's really like I think he even says he cares for his emotional health because that's where we learn that what's behind, like the the only way for Sukal to leave this place is he has to face the monster and he never has in all of this time. Sukal does not have the strength to open that door and face what's out there, which is reasonable, you know? Um, Yeah. And so I love the fact that it requires the Discovery crew to get to know him and get to to feel comfortable to have him leave this place safely and rescue him yeah and they have to do it so gently and tentatively so as to not scare him and have him would have him retreat further you know into himself and so it's so beautifully done um and you know a deep misunderstanding of what happened to the bird people thought it was malicious and turns out it was just sukal terrified and alone sad Hmm. (laughs) guy (laughs) Poor guy, sorry to laugh. Um, (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Okay, so in New Eden, this one for me is another that I chose based off of the, like, atmosphere, because when they go on this planet, which is way out in the Beta Quadrant, because the signal has appeared here, and traditionally, if a signal appears, the Discovery needs to help and do something. And so once they get to new eden they figure out which actually pike and michael and everyone who beamed down like does not know about the whole episode but there is a giant like comet or something like headed towards the planet and it's gonna it's gonna destroy the planet unless they can figure out a way so that's what they're trying to do up on discovery but down on the planet pike and michael and owo have beamed down to try to figure out okay well these are all like humans (laughs) what's going on how did this happen they're looking at the church and the stained glass windows show that all types of religions have been merged into one and it's all all around the red angel (laughs) which saved them from a battle in world war three just took the church and moved it to terralysium which is this planet out here in the in the beta quadrant they believe all of earth is dead and they are the only remains and they have little provinces around the planet but that's what they believe <laughs> yeah this is an extremely isolating situation for them ashlyn so glad 
that you included this episode because as I was looking through your wonderful watch list, I was really thinking about this episode. Because I remember (laughs) first seeing it and feeling very disconcerted. Like, this is cult vibes. You know, I was like, the small church, the small town, the sort of like, I'm like, is someone going to get burned at the stake by the end of this episode? You know, like, you just never know (laughs) with these cultish towns. Yeah, I thought that it was interesting because even, like, on the pulpit, the Bible, whatever, the book, the spiritual book they put together from all these new, from all the religions, even the passage itself is, like, a fear-mongering passage of God, you know? And so I thought that that was really interesting, that sort of thing they added there of, like, this place sort of fuels itself more off of, like, the fear of God, and but also of their salvation from the Red Angel. So... That is also such an interesting element to look at, um, especially because someone is called the All Mother, which I think is also very creepy and culty. Yeah. <laughs> the All Mother will see you now, you know, and they're like chanting above the harvest moon. I'm like, this is exactly like you said, Ashlyn. The spooky vibes here are immaculate. <laughs> yeah, that's what I had too. Very cultish. Definitely reminds mm-hmm. me of Landrew. Again, yes. Discovery is taking these taking this time to dive down into literally like new civilizations which i love it's such a classic tos move i really like the guy there's like one guy who's sus of religion and he um he thinks that earth is still alive and he's starting to put the pieces together once he meets our away team and eventually he even steals all their gear and he goes to the all mother and he says look they're from earth you have to believe me um, and so I just think I kind of feel bad for him because no one's it's clear no one is believing him but also they stole he stole discovery stuff so that's not good either yeah. um, but I do like this added element to the episode too because it adds something interesting like there is a guy who actually believes in science yeah wow I mean that's such a good point Ashlyn and I feel like he adds to the disconcerting elements of this town because you see how much he's sort of put down for believing in this stuff and how he's always sort of perceived as like silly or oh you know no you must just follow the ways of religion i just think it's really interesting because this guy just needs the right context in order to understand what's going on here and i absolutely love that pike after at the end of this episode when he comes back down to ask for the helmet cam and to give this guy some closure he almost says context is for kings, but instead he he goes, context can alter your perspective. And I was like, this is yet again showing how he's different from Lorca, you know? And I love that, that he sort of turned what I thought was going to be context is for kings again, you know? Instead, to can alter your perspective, which is such like a gentler way of thinking about like including someone into the context of the situation. Yeah, I love the subtle differences that they point out between pike and Lorca when they make these parallels that's a great Mm -hmm. thing to pick up on rihanna um yeah yeah, i'm happy that he ends up getting the truth and michael is really pushing on pike like hey like please tell him that he's right because that like he's never gonna find out otherwise you know (laughs) totally totally yeah i also want to briefly talk about we you know we discussed how may brought tilly into the mycelium network this is sort of the beginning of this for Tilly, um, this subplot in this episode. But most of the part I found really creepy is when Tilly is looking up May. Like, oh my gosh, I, I recognize that name. May Ahern was her name. She finds it in the in one of her yearbooks. Um, 
And then she says, okay, like, computer, she's not on board. That's weird. Locate, like, where is May Ahern? Um, and, you know, it's, like, born this year. And it's, like, deceased this year. And the music gets so creepy. And Tilly's face just, like, pales. You know, it's just, like, so well done. This entire scene, I thought, really emulated just, like, how horrifying that would be to find that out. And then you're, like, okay, I'm seeing a ghost. Like, something's going on with me. Literally same, Rihanna. That, yeah. I was freaking out at that part. That's such a good end to the episode. Yeah, that was really cool. And the final end of the episode is when Pike comes down to the planet, you know, to give get the soldiers camera and everything. It shows the soldiers cam as our like final scene with oh, the red yeah, angel. That's right. Creepy and so well done because it looks like they're like going to die, you know, and they're all freaking out and the soldier's like, Heavenly Father, save us! You know, like, all this stuff. Well, they're warrior priests, which cracks me yeah. up. It's very Doctor Who. Totally, totally. Um, so I thought that was, like, oh, so interesting. Um, just what a fantastic way to leave us on the edge of this episode. And to really give us just a little insight into what the Red Angel's already done. And what they plan to do in the future, you know, I think is interesting. Because we still don't know. We know that they saved them but we don't know what the Red Angel's full true purpose is still. The caretaker. <laughs> yep. Except, except it's kind Pretty of much. a never comes back to check, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. Here we go. Season four. Sorry, big uh, whiplash coming up next couple <laughs> on our last two episodes. Um, this is Kobayashi Maru. So this is the first episode of season four. And I thought we had to add it just because it is the destruction of Kajon. What, what is it? Kajon? Kajon. Kajon. That's where they were. Um, this is the destruction of K. K. Of. Yeah. Kajon. <laughs> Kajon. It has the destruction of Kajon. 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 It has the destruction of Kajon. Um, yes. So that's true, it does. that was very spooky. Um, also, I still think even though we've been in the future for a whole season at this point, I still don't really feel like it's my home yet. And so it opens with these aliens who we've never met and they're saying that Grudge is a queen, which she is, but it's a complete yes. misunderstanding. Um, mm-hmm. And even though they like have the situation under control, we're still being exposed to alien species we haven't seen before, or we're still being exposed to new things that are in this time. And I'm just not quite like feeling settled. Yeah, Ashlyn, I am so impressed by this episode because both halves actually ended up being very spooky. And the whole episode was very freaky. To see what Michael is dealing with on one end and Book is dealing with on the other, is so terrifying because they're terrifying in these different ways and they're both affected by the same thing by the 10c which we were going to learn about later in the season and so i love that we get this opening scene where michael encounters the spinning space station it's like spinning out that to me is so scary because i've i know enough about space and i'm such a like sci-fi nerd that like that's not good that's like incredibly horrible like something must have completely like I think it's Reese or someone is like, no solar flare did that. You know, like, that's not even possible. So I thought that was a great opening to really put me on edge. And to know there's people in there who are suffering and who could die. And how Discovery's got to work really fast and really hard. And while the freaking president is watching. 
Yeah, well, I think this episode's called Kobayashi Maru because it's Michael's first, not her first time out as captain necessarily, but her first time with the president watching. So she's being evaluated or graded like she would have at Starfleet Academy with the Kobayashi Maru, which of course she already has done um, at this point. But sure, yeah, I thought that added element of the president and seeing the president's speech. Relic is a really interesting character for me because I remember the first time watching this. I do remember this episode really vividly compared with Stormy Weather. But mm-hmm. uh I remember feeling so suspicious of President Rillick and just unsure of her intentions because, I mean, for the same reason, for the same reason I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm just not comfortable in this time yet. And this future world, I just don't trust anything. So President Rillick is like the face of that for me. Um, Totally. And so I think she continues to question Michael during the mission which just like it's a breakdown of the chain of command and everyone on the bridge is like oh my god like if forced to give an order who do you obey the president of the federation or your captain and people should not be having those thoughts like (laughs) no yeah not at all oh absolutely i it's just ridiculous yeah this really irritated me i added on extra steaks for sure ashlyn like five Um, steaks grilling on the barbecue (laughs) literally like too many too many steaks here um and you know i'm so protective i'm so protective of my crew of discovery you know because they've been through so much that i'm like do not question my daughter like she is doing great like yeah Yeah. you know this episode builds too very well i think that because we start out like i said with the spinning space station and then on the other end book's end uh the bookend of this is that he is watching his nephew go through like his rite of passage type thing i'm sorry i don't remember the quajonian name for it or whatever but uh he it's this like really special moment for the three of them for his brother and his nephew and himself and so everything on his end is just like nice and peaceful and cute and only has that sort of underlying sense of like this is nice and peaceful and cute why like what's gonna happen why are they showing us this scene besides it being cute like discovery doesn't just do that you know like sadly we don't get a lot of just like fun goofy episodes and so so just the nature of discovery being what it is and totally what i know i'm gonna expect i was a little on edge with it being so peaceful and turns out i had a right to be and i never expected the stakes that came from this and i think the best like the because there's so many memorable images in this episode you know of the spinning station but i think even more than that was that of the birds dying and falling onto book ships like colliding as they like fall from the sky literally like dead as they were flying that to me like the right before equation's destruction is just horrible like so so scary um, and what a great, potent, powerful image to show us to really understand the stakes of this. Totally agree. That's what I was going to point out too. Once you see those birds going down, it yeah, it's such a such a good and terrifying image. And then when Quajon is finally destroyed, like just sorrow, agony, um, waves and waves of sin yeah. pain. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Especially because we're coming on the tail end of Michael's, you know, she feels like it's a failure, even though she did get most of the landing party back and most of the people off the station. Um, still, like, the main guy was dead at the end, and there was three dead and four wounded total, and so she's having to deal with that death on her end. And then, you know, especially like I said earlier, it's horrible because they have no idea what's happening to each other. And so finally when they are able to um, get in, 
finally, when they're able to get in touch with Book, Reese calls, and there's just this look on his face that you know something's wrong. And he says, like, something's wrong. Oh, man, the ending leaves you just speechless. At least I was. You know, I feel like this is like a Vulcan-level you know, 2009 Vulcan destruction level event for me, you know, I'm obviously didn't know Quajon as well, and it didn't feel as much like home to me as Vulcan did, but it's still just this absolute shock of, like, they really just destroyed an entire planet, and, like, all those people are just gone that we saw last scene, you know, and so that, what a beautiful and devastating way to do this episode. Yes, thank you, Rihanna. I think, um, I think the, I think the Star Trek TV show's like are informed by the success of the 2009 movies and that trilogy and so i think raising the stakes to have a planet like vulcan which is so essential destroyed absolutely informed this choice to blow up um books planet Uh, to me i did not feel the same impact at all i felt bad for book mostly and it was kind of a situation where like throughout season four we're learning more about the planet than we knew when it exploded and so it's like i just so we continue to feel like pity and sad for book um so i had i had not quite as strong as of feelings as you did but still it's very impactful and very rarely is that card played where an entire planet is destroyed so yeah i i thought this was a great episode and um heartbreaking also i think it sets a very weird tone for the fourth season because they're really starting at the bottom you know where this horrible thing has happened and it feels very eerie michael didn't save everyone um it it sets up this mystery of what's going on very well too oh man okay well here's the last bit of whiplash we are going back to season one episode three this is context for kings we've been talking about it the whole time and now it's time to dive deeper into this amazing episode man so i I have not watched this episode fully in a long time. I like will watch it for parts for the podcast. And I had a really new appreciation for it because it is a fantastic episode. And I can't believe Discovery had such a great one this early. That's like unheard of in Star Trek. You know, like if you watch the third episode of any other series, (laughs) you will be very confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we watched Fight or Flight last week uh, for Enterprise. So you know what we mean. Very confused and hard to to get through. Not this one. I was glued to the screen. This one is is very scary. And I mean, talk about like starting off the season in a like creepy way. Um, we have Michael, who is a prisoner aboard this ship, and the shuttle is having some issues because these, like, bugs are on the hole, like, eating it. Um, and so guess who saves them? It's Lorca and the Discovery. And slowly throughout the episode, Lorca assigns Michael to, um, help on the Spore project, even though he's not giving her any details about what they're doing. Um, and then finally, at the end of the episode, he invites her to stay on Discovery. So... This whole episode is, uh, it's like a, a, like a transition episode literally for Michael, but I loved having the perspective of the main character does not know what's going on because in every other show, you're going with the crew, like your perspective is um, of the captain. So, so you know like what the mission is, but so having Michael being so in the dark about this was 
a great change of pace for me. Yeah, exactly. Throwing her, you know, sort of out of the frying pan in the fire is what was happening here. And I think the music too, like ties this whole episode together. It's so ominous throughout the, the lighting of it physically being so dark is something I remember thinking about Discovery very early on. I'm like, wow, these scenes are just like, I'm turning up my brightness fully. I'm closing the blinds. Like it's very dark. Not as bad um, as Game of Thrones, yeah. but it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Some of those scenes I'm like squinting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. After we hear about the ac- accident on the Glen, that's when, things start to really kick into gear because we had just learned that Stamets' friend had created like, oh, a new way to, to like use the spore drive because they have an activated spore hub as well on the Glen, I believe. And so turns out, of course, we know now that it's the tardigrade. Um, but this, again, yes, bringing us in blind, not knowing what's behind this mystery is really cool. And of course, why it's in our monsters and misunderstandings category, because we have a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought uh, some moments that added to the overall tense feeling of the episode was when Michael has to eat like lunch with everybody else in the room and she's looking around like where can I sit everyone's staring at her like giving her these terrible looks she ends up sitting with the prisoners and then a fight starts um it's just like not a welcoming atmosphere at all it's very alienating um it's very different compared with what we're used to and we're just seeing how much people are judging her I feel like you know Michael is very much willing to atone for what she did she feels terrible but to see how people are treating her is just hard to watch. Extremely difficult, yeah. And especially because she is just trying to do her best to aid in this situation when they are over on the Klingon bird of prey that the Tardigrade has has been on, we see that they have completely been slaughtered. And um, Michael is brought onto this mission against Stamets' desires, and Lorca just wants to bring her on because, you know she's his tool to manipulate as he pleases and so uh i thought that one of the best and well done parts of this scene is when we see that one of the klingons is still alive and he like shushes them that moment is so creepy because a klingon shushing you seriously they're like would be the first ones like yelling at the enemy and fighting back and everything and so if a klingon is saying like this is the best way to stay alive better listen yeah, I think when they're kind of doing like low-key autopsies, they're like, oh, like clearly th- like they were boarded, like trying to figure out how these people died. And it's like, what could have killed a Klingon like that when they're already on board? Like probably the ship was curious, like, oh, like let's go on the Glen and scavenge what we can. And then they were killed. So it it sets yeah. up like I'm visualizing this happening as they're describing it. And it's like all the lights are out. It's super creepy. I agree. Yeah, one of the creepiest moments of this episode, especially when the boot is trapped in the door and it's just like opening and closing on the boot. Oh, it's so creepy. (laughs) Star Trek, as we've been seeing in these episodes, does such a good job of making the ship look creepy when they're like destroyed or wrecked or whatever. And so, you know, Discovery is no exception. It's really amazing. And then, ooh, talk about another body horror part. So we finally get to the Glen, and Stamets sees his friend, and he's, like, completely, like, warped. Like, his face is warped, and his body has, like, bones sticking out of it. It's just, like, very good body horror to the point where I'm like, ooh, what a horrible way to go. Because we find out that, you know, that the whole thing with the mycelium network went wrong. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's terrible. And poor Stamets, he doesn't even really get to emote. Like, he's forced to just carry on because this is such a dire situation. And even when he's back on Discovery, Lorca gives no one crying time. <laughs> he's like, nope, we gotta go. No. We gotta go. We gotta go. <laughs> no buffer time, no crying time. Yeah. Man, Lorca is also lurking in the dark, you know? Like, we have this extra ominous vibes from him anyway you know because you're like something's up with this guy why is he in the dark why can't his eyes adjust like you know so i think that also is such a great way to add to this mysterious element of this episode oh god lorca and his dark ready room it's just like it's a staple for this and uh you never feel comfortable there you have to stand you have his like stale af fortune cookies they're all (laughs) opened on the table like does he eat so many fortune cookies a day i mean i'm sure they like they can't get stale in the future but i'm saying like those are gross like you those are more of decoration you should not (laughs) have them yeah i hope he's not eating them (laughs) i just see it's like every day he's like what's my fortune (laughs) and it's probably like all dark fortunes that he like (laughs) It's, replicated for himself it's like mirror. you will slaughter your enemies today <laughs> mirror themed fortune cookies your first officer's trying to kill you <laughs> yeah <laughs> keep your eyes peeled <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh oh Lord. um wow. yeah well and i just want to say it one more time because Lorca says universal laws for lackeys context is for kings yeah dang mm-hmm there drop is. that mic <laughs> get out of there. and i think that's what we're gonna do rihanna we're gonna drop that mic we're gonna get out of there drop that mic um okay so before we leave i want we want to give a special shout out to our lovely patrons thank you so much to curl on nice ghost wolf wit rick mason john t bolds gildara jeff richardson never otter even anna post t alexander ivan fetch and michelle thank you so much for being wonderful patrons we almost have our stuff to you. We are so close to getting your goodies sent out to you. So so I hope you're getting excited. Woohoo, yes. Um, holidays are just around the corner. I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving because we yeah, we won't be talking to you before then. So happy yeah. Thanksgiving, everyone. <laughs> um, I'm very excited. My best friend is coming down from New York to spend time with us. So it's going to be very, very chill. Yay, that sounds so lovely. Uh, yeah, I hope everyone has a good week. Take care of yourself and... We shall see you next time for Picard's Spookiest Episodes. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the seventh episode of our spooky series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will talk about the most hair-raising episodes in Picard. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tim Block. <laughs> Tim Block! Oh my god! <laughs> I love Tim Block. <laughs> you were social, just dropped. I mean, after since Twitter is leaving, it's something has to fill the void. Tim Block has to fill. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> on Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and a merch on Threadless. All links can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. 
By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, a review of Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek Quivia. <laughs> Star and fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Star <laughs> Trek Quivia. Quivia. And there was trivia. <laughs> Because I just said quest. Um. <laughs> and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, movies, feminism, death fakeouts, and First Officers. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social Media and Marketing by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Editing is done by Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Also, yeah. I'm thinking we are going to have to go much faster yeah, on the rest much. of We're the on episodes. One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I cannot be saying all this. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. But anyway.